We are back in the Lord's Prayer this morning, and, and we're looking at the um, we're we're looking at uh, debt. Uh, forgive us of our debts, trespasses. What that says, as we forgive our debtors. And if there's one thing we should understand in America, it's the concept of debt. I mean, credit scores, interest rates, mortgages, housing, student debt, all those are actually daily conversations or at least weekly conversations we end up having in some form or another. And now Jesus is using that concept as he teaches the disciples to pray. And today we're looking at this petition, and in that day and age, if you owed a debt you couldn't pay, the way the creditor got that debt was to throw you into jail, and the intent was to try and put pressure on the family to pay off that debt to get you out of prison. And so there was no bankruptcy court, there was no wage garnishment, there was just simply debtor's prison. Which logically, let's just be honest, that doesn't, you know, I don't know how you're going to get your debt paid off if the guy can't earn the money to pay the debt, but either that's neither here nor there. So Jesus is talking about this particular concept of this particular prayer, it shifts the prayer. Um, forgiveness of debt spoke of mercy. It would have spoken of mercy to this group. If, a, if the petition, give us this day our daily bread, emphasizes our most urgent physical needs, then this petition emphasizes our most urgent spiritual need. But remember, Jesus is speaking here of a new paradigm. This is the kingdom of God. And what we need to learn is that the kingdom of God, the kingdom coming, is the story of the forgiveness of sin. So turn to Mark chapter 2, if you would. We're going to look really quickly at a, a parable that Jesus tells, his, tells this group, beginning in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And when, when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to this paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out from before them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. When we tell stories of the miracles that Jesus performed throughout the Gospels, we talk about the, the lame walking, the blind seeing, the deaf being able to hear, um, the demon possessed becoming liberated, freed from those things. 
But how often when you think about the miracles, do you think about how many times Jesus told those same people, your sins are forgiven? Which in reality, let's be honest, that's the greater miracle. That's part of the Jesus' point in this parable. Here's a, uh, in this story, here's a, here's a story of a lame man who's looking for healing, because that's the word he gets, he, he, and he wants to be healed. And instead of Jesus healing him immediately, he says to him, your sins are forgiven, and it upsets the scribes. And I mean, when I say upsets them, it upsets them big time. They, they immediately start thinking, who does this guy think he is? He's blaspheming, which meant... In, in reality, what they should have done was drug him out and stoned him if he was a true blasphemer. That was the law. And Jesus answered them. He said, I am the son of man. I am the kingdom bringer. I am changing things. Something's happening. The kingdom is coming. And this is what it looks like. It looks like the forgiveness of sins. And that is the theme that permeates the gospels. This was... Simply one of the many times when Jesus was teaching this crowd that the kingdom of God is about forgiveness. So Christ teaches the disciples to pray in two ways. As as the kingdom comes, forgive us. And as we try to show the kingdom to others, help us forgive them. So let's first talk about what is forgiven in us. What does it mean for a child of God to be forgiven? What, 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 what is it that God has forgiven in us? As I already mentioned, I was back in Mississippi this week, and I went out to lunch um, with a guy who had actually been listening to, to these, this sermon series. And he, he asked me a question as we talked. And basically, he was asking this question. He, he said, Sometimes the word trespasses is used, and sometimes the word debt is used. So what's the, why different words? That was basically his question. And I had an answer, I had a, you know, common pat answer, which is, you know, actually there's three words, debt, trespasses, and sins, depending on which passage you're looking at, and three different passages, and they all mean close to the same thing, so it's fine to use any of them. It's fine. I mean, the text, the scripture does, so, you know, it's fine. But as we kept discussing it, he, he asked this question and had not thought about it. He said, well, which one's better? And I was like, better? I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know about better. What do you mean by better? I said, you, and he didn't, you know, we talked about it more, and he didn't mean that in the sense of like pitting the Bible against itself. Um, he was basically asking this, in our day and age, which word captures the heart of the message of forgiveness better? Debt, trespasses, or sins? Which one painted a clearer picture of what we as humanity need from God? So I spent some time considering that. I thought it was a great question. We're in, and let's, so let's break it down. Let's think about it. We're all familiar with the word sin, right? I mean, we're all familiar with what it means. The Bible defines sin as any thought, word, or action that goes against the will of God or violates God's moral law. The New Testament teaches sin is a missing the mark. I'm sure you've, you've probably heard that example before. This implies that sin is a failure to live up to a standard that God has set 
which means God sets the standard for what righteousness looks like, and we have not reached that standard. We have missed that mark. And trespasses is very similar, but in the Bible, trespasses sometimes means um, it, 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 the context could be in our relationship to God, but it's also used to refer um, to offenses or sins committed against other people, particularly in the context of relationships and social interactions and some of those things. It, it means a false step, slip, a deviation from uprightness. And this suggests that trespasses are actions that cause us to deviate from the plan of God, the, uh, the right path God has set up. So, but the word debt, To me, that seems like a stronger word. Sin and trespasses, think about it like this. Sin and trespasses are verbs. They are the did, the done, the do's. But debt goes beyond what I did. And the reason I think that's a stronger word is I think sometimes we get, if we're not careful, we're going to get caught up into thinking about the do's and don'ts of the Christian life and either place ourselves under bondage for dwelling on our past of what we've done or walking in self-righteousness, thinking about all the things we, we haven't done or the things we've done right. But in reality, the list of what we've done or not done is irrelevant when it, in regards to our salvation. In the Bible, sin debt is the idea that our sins create a debt that must be paid in order to be reconciled to God. We didn't just do something to offend God, we owe something to God. Not just for what we've done, but for who we are. And that is fallen, sinful humans. Debtors to sin in need of help to pay that debt. Sinners in need of a Savior. You've heard that term before, I'm sure. And the Apostle Paul, that's why he wrote in Romans 6, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it refers, this wages of sin refers to the debt that we owe God because of our sins. The debt can't be repaid by our own efforts. There's nothing we can do to pay off that debt towards God. It requires a sacrifice be made on our behalf. Someone has to pay off that debt. And that was paid on the cross by Jesus Christ. And that's, let's just be honest, that's the gospel. The message that God defeated the the powers of sin and death, and he saved sinners through the perfect life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that by grace alone, through faith alone, the perfect righteousness of Christ was credited to us to pay that debt. And when we understand the gospel in this way, we see our salvation and the message of the gospel of forgiveness not as something we do, but rather something that God has done in Christ. And as Christians, the gospel is not about, the, it's not about what we've done It's about what we believe. Everything contained in the gospel is already done for you. God is the one acting on your behalf. He's accomplished your salvation without your help. He's paid the debt without your help. And the gospel exists outside of you. And that's the what, the why, and the how of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I mean, that's the heart of the story Brent read this morning out of Luke 15. A broken son who did not even desire to be part of the family leaves. And now he's back. And his hope in that passage is that the father would just let him come in as a servant, no longer part of the family. When that son left, they would have held a funeral for him and said he is dead to this family. But the father was waiting and watching daily for the son, hiked up his robes and ran through the city and met the son because what he was running towards was forgiveness. Eager to give forgiveness to the son. Eager forgiveness to those who believe. And that's the gospel we believe. Our debt forever canceled because of what Christ did on the cross. And a father, heavenly father, eager to give forgiveness to us. So, that's one type of forgiveness. But let's think about this. What are we actually asking when we pray, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors, or forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us? Because Jesus tells us to pray this prayer And the question that should pop in your mind, if it hasn't, I'm going to help you, I'm going to put it in there for you, is if we're already forgiven, if we're told that Christ paid the debt for us and and we just receive that and believe it, if we're already forgiven, then why are we told in this prayer to daily ask for forgiveness? Great question. Thanks for asking. I heard one guy say this way. He said, this prayer reminds us daily that we're debtors to the mercy of God. Because there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. Every day we live as debtors to mercy. I mean, do you you believe that? Do you think about that? Can you tell me, have you ever had a day? Have you ever had a perfect day? It's, It's possible, I guess. Um, maybe you've slept all day. I don't, I don't know. You ever had a day when you didn't feel like you needed to be forgiven for something? Listen, here's, listen, this is the answer. This is the answer to that question. And, and the answer is found in how we, as God's children, forgiven and loved, brought into the family of God, the answer is found in how we view God. When we pray this prayer, it's it's already been established. Who are we we praying to in this prayer? It's right at the front. Father. We're praying to Father. That's important. His role as Father doesn't change. When you get further in the prayer, you're always praying to God as Father. We're not praying to God as judge. We're praying to God as Father. So this isn't a prayer of innocent and guilty or a prayer of good and bad. It isn't a prayer asking God to save us again. God will never, ever disown his children once we are justified. This prayer, it is the prayer of a child going to his heavenly father, their heavenly father, and saying, 
I have done things that displeased you, and I'm asking for your forgiveness for the sake of our relationship. And what this prayer teaches us is we have a father who says, I'll forgive you. And, it does, and a father, it tells us that he desires to have a relationship with us. And he's given us the means to walk in that relationship because we have a heavenly father who will daily forgive our trespasses. But the kingdom of God, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's two parts to this. The second part of this prayer, it's a more difficult prayer because the kingdom coming also means that for us, we give forgiveness away. If we're going to show Christ's likeness, we will be a people who forgive those who trespass against us. That's the prayer. That's what we're asking of our Father Let us forgive others like you forgave us. This is another petition declaring the kingdom of God is radically different from the world. And it's filled with people who desire to manifest mercy and kindness and grace and forgiveness because of the forgiveness granted to us by Jesus Christ. We understand what it's like to be forgiven an impossible debt. And as representatives of Christ's kingdom on this earth, we want to show who Christ is to others. Justice and peace and truth and mercy will will one day reign throughout this world. That's the not yet of the kingdom. And the church right now is the model, the pioneer of that life, which is the only way of life because it's the only way of forgiveness. And what Jesus is affirming in this prayer is that we who have experienced God's forgiveness, we are fundamentally transformed into forgiving people. In other words, one day, we will get to a place where it's easier than it is now. Here's what I mean by that. We we become a forgiving people. It's impossible to experience the riches of God's grace and remain stubborn, cold-hearted, obstinate. Those who truly know the forgiveness of God can forgive. Jesus emphasized this point multiple times in his ministry. Uh, One, we could all quote, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. But I think the best place to look at this is actually Matthew 18. So go ahead and turn there. We're going to look at verse 21, Matthew 18. It's a little bit of a parallel passage to the Luke passage I just quoted. This is Peter Christ has just taught on um, what it's like, uh, how to deal with, with sin issues within the body of Christ. And Peter says, Lord, in verse 21, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Peter thought he was really saying something here. Yeah, seven times, that's a lot, right? 
And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. And then Jesus goes on and explains what he means by that, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, which that number, that's not a specific number. That is an impossible number, right? If you want to do some math on that, depending if it was silver talents or gold talents, it could be up there in the $300 billion range, an impossible number. Verse 25, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell to his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will repay you everything, knowing that that wasn't even possible. But out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. And when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And his anger, in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt, which we know is impossible. His debt would never be paid. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So we have a guy with an impossible debt. That debt's forgiven. And then we have a guy who comes in and with a debt of probably about a third of a annual year's wages. So $20,000, $30,000 in our day. Peter asks a great question. Jesus answered, we have this person with this debt, and we have a merciful king who shows compassion and forgives the debt. Now we have the guy in prison. Now, some have taught that this passage is actually teaching works-based salvation. If you have a biblical... uh, theology and understand the overall arc of Scripture, you know that's not true. Nowhere does the Bible teach works-based salvation. So we have to ask, what's it, what is it actually teaching? It's not teaching, also, it's not teaching that you can lose your salvation. The Bible doesn't teach that anywhere. But notice what Jesus tells Peter. Verse 23 said, what I'm about to describe to you is the kingdom. What this king found was a person who claimed they wanted forgiveness, but they were not changed by the act of mercy shown to them by the king. This man's cry for mercy was false. He had no plans to show mercy to others. He didn't really even understand the the debt that had been forgiven him. He proves that in his response to the other servant. Someone who had been truly changed by the mercy of the king would not have been able to have helped but shown mercy and grace and compassion because of how much the mercy shown had changed them. The Bible's clear on this. It's actually very direct in its teaching on this. But the question is, if that's true, why sometimes is it so hard to forgive? 
Think of it like this. At, sal- at salvation, we're justified. That's, that's, that's one thing that happens. There's a lot of things that happen. That's one thing that happens. Justification is the act of God declaring the sinner righteous based solely on faith in Jesus Christ because of his works, not our works, not our merit, Christ's merit. We're also regenerated, meaning we, we receive a new nature. No one who believes in Christ and is justified doesn't receive a new nature. This new nature is the nature of Jesus himself, and we know for sure that Jesus has a forgiving nature. Now, justification and sanctification are not the same thing, and we need to make sure we don't blend them. That that brings in a lot of confusion when we do. Sanctification is the lifelong process of being conformed into the image of Christ. Empowered by the Spirit, we grow in holiness and obedience to God. And you'll hear me say this all the time. We are on a journey towards Christ-likeness. Guaranteed because of the Spirit of God in us to persevere in that journey, on that journey. But we've not arrived at our destination, which means we are not perfect. We are not perfected. Our new nature doesn't manifest itself all at once. Which would explain the question sometimes of why you hear of a guy who gets saved, genuinely saved, and he still struggles with some sin in his life. I've, I, I love the accounts of the alcoholic who gets saved and never had the desire to touch alcohol again. But the reason we share those stories is because they're unique. That's not the norm. However, as we look at forgiveness passages, we, we, and it's a big however, if we're justified, that nature will increasingly and inevitably express itself in our sanctification. And that's what this parable is teaching, that there is a new nature will manifest itself in the forgiveness of others just as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us. So we are able to pray In fact, we have a responsibility to pray, just as Christ instructed us, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors, whether we want to or not. To desire to forgive even when we struggle to forgive. To meditate on the gospel of forgiveness and think about what's been forgiven in us, which will allow us the grace and mercy to forgive others. And that's what the kingdom of God looks like. That's what Jesus said. He said, look, I'm about to describe to you the kingdom. It's a kingdom of forgiveness. And it's what makes this kingdom different from the kingdoms of this world. It's the thing that makes us seem out of our mind to those that are not part of that kingdom. Look, I've even seen Christians forgive in some ways, and I thought, hmm, I think they might be out of their mind. But let's, let's consider two things we wrap up. Both of these things in this, pa- in this passage of prayer. Are you seeking forgiveness? Are you daily taking your spiritual needs, daily repentance to God in prayer? If you feel like your relationship with God is broken in some way, perhaps this is a good place to start. 
It's a hard prayer to pray. Uh, to have an honest conversation with God about the sin in your life so you can experience joy restored in relationship with the Heavenly Father. Not God is judge, God is Father. Romans 8.1 stands, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when we pray, we are praying to God as Father, not as judge. But we still have to take this to Him as Father. Father, forgive me of my trespasses. Second question, are you, are you calling in debts on others when your debt's already been forgiven by God? It's a good question. It's difficult to compare God's forgiveness with our forgiveness of others, all right? And I'm not even sure if that's always a fair comparison. But that's kind of the point. God's forgiveness is boundless. Boundless. That actually might have been a better word than reckless in that song. I hadn't thought about that until right now, but pretty much any word would have been better than reckless. But um, boundless would work. His forgiveness is boundless. Ours is not. What would it look like if God treated you and your sin in the same way that we treat others? And look, I'm not dismissing it. I've got hurts in my life. I've got some people that have hurt me dearly. And God never says what happened in those situations is not a big deal. It's a big deal. This isn't a, 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 a just let it go moment. There's a reason Christ teaches on this. He teaches on it because Christ knew it was a difficult thing. If it was easy, we wouldn't even have to mention it as often as it's mentioned in Scripture. Christ is pressing us into this of understanding what it means to be forgiven. I love what Kevin DeYoung said about this. He said, forgiveness is not saying that sin doesn't matter. You're not saying it's no big deal. You're saying God is bigger. The cross is bigger. Hell is bigger. So don't focus on what you owe. Don't focus on what they owe you. Focus on what God has already forgiven. And I, I, as we live in that, as we pray that, God, forgive us of our sins as we forgive others of theirs. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Pray that prayer and let the Spirit of God work in you, Christ-likeness, as you desire forgiveness, to forgive even when you struggle to forgive. 